This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. Firstly, a massive thank you for all the love the last year. We just done our um, Spotify wrapped and we put it on our Instagram. So if you've not seen it, you can go over to that and check it out. And we, I think we both just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone that's listened to us blithering on for the last year. And um, this will be the last story I'm telling this year. Um, so a big thank you from me specifically. Um, we also have had a chat about things going forward and there's going to be some exciting things happening next year. So watch the space. Anyway, for the story today, um, as I said, it's me and I'm going to be telling you the story of the Salisbury Crags murder. Samantha, does the Salisbury Crags murder ring a bell for you? It does ring a bell for some weird reason. But yeah, I, I probably know nothing about it and I'll have never heard of it. But let's just say the name rings a bell. The name should ring a bell, Samantha. Do you know what the Salisbury Crags are? I do, but I don't want to say in case I'm wrong. So. Right. So the Salisbury Crags are located in Edinburgh in Holyrood Park. And it's near Arthur Seat. It is not the same. They share the same grounds. So I'll be quite honest. I was born and raised in Edinburgh. And I thought they were the same thing. But I was wrong. So the crags have a peak. And although Arthur Seat goes higher, these have a scarier like summit due to their drop as they are like 150 feet tall. And it's a very steep drop down some like kind of rocks. And there's a radical road, it's called, that drives around them. Google a picture if you're not 100% sure. That's what I did and I now know the difference. But I just kind of saw that whole area of Holyrood Park as the big Arthur seat. But I was wrong. There is a specific, a specific part called the Salisbury Crags where our story is set. So the main person in our story is Ernest Dumoulin. Dum- oh, it's, it's, it's a German surname, so apologies if I pronounced that wrong. But he was born in Minden in West Germany in June 1951. Now, when he was about a year old, his parents moved to Rotterdam and they stayed in Holland until he was about eight or nine. And then they moved back to Germany and they moved to West Germany. On leaving school, he attended a commercial college and actually became a trainee bank assistant. Now, as I said, he moved to Rotterdam. That's because his father was Dutch and his dad had actually spent some time in a concentration camp during the war. And he then became a welfare worker at a home for adults with disabilities and actually disabled children as well in 1972. I'm not sure about his mum. I know that she was German, but I'm actually not sure what she did. Now, before this, he had been an insurance agent for years and years and years. But anyway, Ernst was engaged to be married. And when he was actually 20, this broke off in January 1972. I couldn't figure out why, but I do know this hit Ernst quite hard. And the, break, uh, the breakup caused him to move. In April of that year, he actually moved to Andernach and he worked in a bank there. Now, once he moved into this town, although he'd just gone through a horrific breakup, he was actually looking to move on 
And in July of 1972, he decided to advertise himself in a newspaper. So I never heard of this. He put an advert into a newspaper looking for a wife. Samantha, have you thought of trying this? <laughs> I knew there was adverts too. Samantha, give it a shot. Let's oh, see this looking for a husband. For <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this is actually a real thing. This is what he did. And a lady replied. And it caught the eye of a girl named Helga Conrad. And she answered his advertisement. Now, Helga was born on the 16th of June, 1954, and was 18 years old at the time that she had gone to meet Ernst. Now, she came from a well-off farming family and was quite a quiet, proper girl. Now, her dad will mention this story and his name is Helmut, so Helmut Conrad, and they worked hard. Like she worked on this farm and it was quite a hard working farm. And although they were quite a wealthy family, a lot of their money went into the farming. Now, this prospect of marrying Ernst seemed to appeal to Helga, but not her family, who expressed opposition like opposition to this marriage. When they first met, it was clear they were actually really interested in each other. And Ernst actually told Helga he loved her on the first date and he wanted to marry her. Now, they continued exchanging letters, went on dates, etc. So on the 15th of September, so not even three months in, Ernst turns up at the farm and he had just bought a new Fiat car. He had actually just traded in his used car in part payment and signed a cheque for £2,495 or huge marks it was at that time. Now, I'm just going to say a side note here that I was going to mention later, but I'm just going to mention it now. There was actually insufficient funds in his account to meet the cheque and it was actually dishonoured, but he had already drove off with the car. Now, he had went round to the Conrad's farm and had actually asked Helmut, Helga's dad, for her permission, to, for his permission, sorry, to marry Helga. Um, and while they were out in the film, a farmyard, Helmut actually said to him, that he thought the marriage was wild this early on and to wait until at least Christmas. Plus, they don't actually really know Ernst by then. Like, the family, as I said, it's been under three months. At this time, like, it's very important for the family and the dad to approve of the potential husband. And they said they haven't managed to gain that relationship with Ernst yet because it has only been a couple of months. So he then goes back into the house and they emerge himself and Helga and ask Helmut if they can go for a short run in the car just for about 15 minutes and he reluctantly consented to this so Helga and Ernst go for a drive in the new Fiat. Now they said they'd be 15 minutes however they never return. The couple actually drive to France um, where they then sell the car and use the proceeds to travel by air to somewhere. So the Fiat sells for about eight and a half thousand pounds in our money today um, and this was actually like the plan all along because I think I don't know obviously but this was quite a quick decision that seemed to be made so I think they'd basically planned if dad says no we're out here anyway and they went to the airport looked at the local departures and just picked one and they went to London now London was quite good at this time it was good for having like a kind of good economic area what's it called not area economic something at that Some, time I have no yeah, idea yeah 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 good economic times in London um now, actually, weirdly, though, a kind of fate, they were on the plane with a passenger next to them and the passenger next to them said, like, what are you doing on the flight? What are you going to London for? And they said, look, we're basically going over to get married, blah, blah. And they actually said it'd be easier to go and get married in Scotland as Scottish marriage laws at that time were easier than English marriage laws. Now, I tried to look into this and I got a bit lost, but I think it was more like lack of proof you needed in Scotland. Like, I don't know if they would have to have had 
more proof of like residency and more like you'd have to live in the country for longer to get married in England than you would at Scotland. So they then decided to travel to Edinburgh. Now on the 19th of September 1972, they took up residence in a small boarding house in Edinburgh, which was actually located on 9 Torfican Street. And this was run by Herbert Wood. Um, and by, res- um, by staying there, they paid three weeks rent in um, advance. So they then obtained a residential qualification or certificate or whatever that they then could get married in Edinburgh. Now, the next day, Ernst deposited £250 into a joint deposit account with the Bank of Nova Scotia, which we do not have anymore. And this was on Princess Street. And he also, while he was there, so bear in mind, he's just arrived in Edinburgh, literally has just paid for three weeks rent in in a place and is asked to borrow the sum of money of up to £10,000. Now, he asked the manager and said that he could aim, obtain the necessary securities for this from Germany. Now, luckily, the manager did not commit to this at the time. He was a bit like hesitant to do this and said he would get back in touch with Ernst. Now, two days later, the couple actually have an interview as well with the area manager of Scottish Life Assurance Company, and they filed up proposal forms for insurance policies to the extent of £100,000 on the likes of, lives of each of them. Now, I don't know if back then you had to have a life insurance policy in order to get married, but I find it really interesting that's one of the first things they went to do. Now, they went together as well. It wasn't like Ernst went. It wasn't like Helga went. They went together to take out huge life insurance policies. Now, Ernst said the reason for this is um, he had been a financial consultant in Germany and was proposing to set up in Edinburgh as a financial advisor. But still, this was way too big. And also, he had actually never advised anyone on finances, but he said he was planning to set up as well. Now, soon after they left, um, they had second thoughts and decided not to handle the kind of proposed insurances they just were like nah and instead they actually arranged to go through an insurance broker um, and this was taken up by Hambro Life Assurance Company. Now on the 20th of September in 1972 they met up in the Caledonian Hotel which if you've never been to Edinburgh that is still there you could go and visit it for this story um, it was attended the meeting was attended sorry by Mr Sire of Hambro's and by representatives of the Scottish Life Assurance Company as well as Ernst and Helga. So they each signed four applications for insurance and the total sum insured on Helga's life was £206,184, which would be doubled in the event of her accidental death. And the total insured on Ernst's own life was £190,480, which would also be doubled in the event of his accidental death. So Ernst actually signed a cheque then and there, and that was actually one half of the first premium. And arrangements were going to be made for the couple to be medically examined and then he actually would pay the rest, if that makes sense. So he kind of like said, look, I'll pay this now. And then a couple of days later, I'll come and pay the rest for this life insurance premium. Now, he actually made a mistake on the form as well, because he actually signed that Helga was his wife, which she wasn't yet, as they had not got married. However, with all this arrangements made for the life insurance, Ernst went ahead to settle a date of his wedding. Now, they decided on Friday the 13th of October at 10.30am. And on that morning, the couple were married at the registrar's office in Edinburgh, um, and Ernst wrote on his like marriage form his job title and he put himself down as a financial advisor, which I've already said he wasn't in that time and had actually never advised on anyone's finances. Now, the witnesses were actually Herbert Wood and his wife, which was the owners of the lodgings, because that's really the only people they had in Edinburgh at that time. 
Now, they went for a meal, a meal after the wedding at their favourite restaurant and apparently Helga was very smitten by Ernst and was telling everyone that she could, how lucky she was to be his wife. In the afternoon, they went up for a walk in Queen's Park where they climbed to the top of the Salisbury Crags and enjoyed the views across Edinburgh. And according to Ernst, Helga suggested that they go back and repeat this experience later in the evening because she really wanted to see Edinburgh in the dark from that view because obviously they'd kind of gone up in the afternoon, it'd be kind of sunset vibes where it wouldn't be dark. Now they went back to their lodgings and went to their room but they actually headed back out at 7pm according to the owners and as I said they were going to Salisbury Crags. So they returned to Salisbury Crags and about 8pm they went up and sat on the edge and they were kind of just chatting and sat. If you've been up Salisbury Crags you can kind of get you and sit on the side and kind of dangle your legs over etc. Now when they decide to leave they both stand up and according to Ernst Helga stands up and loses her footing and falls over the side of the cracks. Her body was found shortly after nine o'clock on what's called the Radical Road, as I explained it to you, about 130 feet below the highest part of the cracks. Now, she was found by a fisherman who was just out walking and her body was very badly injured. The fisherman goes to look for help and finds two local policemen who come over and also shown the body, which shows it's obviously been kind of completely like battered and everything because it's fallen from this high. Now Ernst is then found because he's heard screaming and shaking and shouting for an ambulance. His right arm is also injured. So I find this part really interesting because I'm like, what happened to his arm? Like anyway, all witnesses spoke of him being very distressed and calling out for an ambulance, saying his wife has fallen. He was described as agitated and a shake of stock a shock, sorry, hysterical, very upset. I mean, none of those I am shocked by. I think that we can probably agree is how everybody would be if he literally got married a couple hours ago and the next minute his wife has fallen to her death off the Salisbury cracks. Now, he was also described as shivering uncontrollably. So he's probably what this describes me is definitely a state of shock. Now, after treatment for a minor injury at the Royal Infirmary, I tried to find out what this was as well, and I'm assuming it's his arm, but I really don't know what this injury on his arm is. So if anyone knows, as always, please get in touch, because I do miss things. Um, he was interviewed by police again. He was then able to return to his lodgings. So he was also asked to stay in the area just in case police needed to contact him any further about what happened. And he returns home to obviously inform Herbert Wood and his wife what's happened. And he cannot believe this. Like you're talking, this is about 12 hours since the wedding. And he's returned home saying that Helga's died. The landlady, so Herbert's wife, which unfortunately I can't find her name, described him as dazed and said that in the morning he'd asked if they could play the record Love Story, which I don't know what it is, on repeat, as that was a favourite of Helga's. I think what's most shocking about this bit is how quick this has been from the wedding. Like you hear of newlyweds, accidentally dying or being killed etc but this is as I said like less than 12 hours from the wedding. Now obviously Helga's father will be none the wiser but Helga's father is also none the wiser where they are or what's happened. So on Sunday the 15th of October Ernst actually phones Helga's father in Germany and tells him that he has married Helga. Now when Hel Helma actually asks where Helga is he simply replies she is in heaven and then just hung up. So you can imagine Helga's dad is just totally like, wait a minute, you're married, she's now dead, and you've hung up the phone on me. Like, I can't imagine what her family were kind of going through when they'd heard this news. To be honest, I don't think I'd believe it. But 
obviously she's kind of gone missing. Anyway, on the same day, an emergency meeting took place between Ernst and Mr. Sire from the life insurance company. Remember, I spoke about that later. So the same day, on Sunday the 15th of October, like the day, two days after his wife has died, he's then gone for a meeting with the life insurance company. Now, Ernst actually asked Mr. Sire whether the life insurance proposals which he had signed would be made public or whether they could simply be torn up. Now, he said he didn't want the policy, but he said that the policy made him look a bit criminal, which, fair, it does look very criminal that three days ago you took out a life insurance policy of £200,000 on your wife and she's just fallen off a a cliff. But why tear them up? Why just get rid of them? Like, if you were completely innocent and if you were genuinely as shocked as you were that your wife's fallen off a cliff, I I think I'd probably forget I had life insurance. I don't know if that's just me, Samantha. Maybe I'm just too innocent. Maybe you would remember you had life insurance. <laughs> I'd like, right, get the bank, get the bank involved. Time for the money. Um, no, I'm with you. He is making himself look criminal. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like dodgy. Because yeah. yeah, having the insurance is, like you said, oh well, you clearly killed your wife for the money, but then asking for them to be ripped up that's kind of just been like put the spotlight on me yeah definitely now Mr Sire did not tear them up luckily enough he thought about it and in the end he actually decided to inform the police which I think you'd right to be fair like and if there was nothing suspicious about it there was nothing suspicious about it but the result of him going to the police was actually that Ernst was arrested on Monday the 16th of October 1972 so if you think about how fast this has gone he put this advert in the paper in July and like three months later, he's now in a different city, a different country, widowed, widowed, and arrested for murder. Like it's just such a short period of time. Now he was cautioned and charged with the murder of his wife, and it was all coming out that he just seemed to be a bit of a liar. Like I mentioned earlier, don't know if you remembered Samantha about the car, the check was obviously highlighted. Well done. That he was a bit of a con man. That he had got this car paid by check and actually. There was no money in this account. And you're not talking, oh, accidentally, like, you know, a bill's not gone through because money's came out. There was no money in this account for a car. He had also had lots of petty bank jobs and was actually sacked by his last jobs. And because this was in a bank, he'd taken bank loans out with this bank and now owed that money back. Also, the life insurance. I know we spoke quite a bit, but that does look dodgy. I don't have life insurance, but if I was to have life insurance and then two days later I die, Samantha, I really hope you'd be going, hmm, wait a minute, unless you killed me, to be fair, that's, that's it probably It depends likely. on what my cut was going to be. If Nick was like 50%, I'd be like, okay, I'll keep quiet. <laughs> You're awful. <laughs> um, now, the interview process, from what I could get, I think it was obviously quite difficult, because remember, he needed a translator, but I think they were quite harsh and straight up accusing him of killing his wife. And he did have his solicitor there and his translator, but I think they were straight up saying, like, you have killed your wife. In answer to the charge, he made the statement in German, which is translated to, I did push my wife so that she fell down the cliffs. I did not intend to murder her or with intent to gain money. I am no murderer. He was then asked if he but wished to make a statement. Your... Yeah. Sorry. So no, two seconds, then you can then you can put in, right? He then was asked if he wanted to make a statement in English. And he then said in English, I have pushed my wife that she fell down. I am not a murderer. I did not do it as a murderer. Now you can give your part in because I I was confused <laughs> when I read this. 
Yeah, oh. I pushed my wife off the cliff, but I didn't mean to murder her. I'm not a murderer, but so, I just pushed my wife off a cliff. Exactly. So I can maybe what? give you some more information on this, Samantha. And so he was told, obviously, prepare for trial. They began interviewing other witnesses. The prosecution and defence got ready. And on the lead up to trial, he told his solicitor it was in an act of self-defence. He said Helga actually attacked him on top of Salisbury Crags, pushed him first, trying to kill him. But why would she? Like, for the you, insurance. Yes, Samantha, for the insurance. But if you think about it, this woman's applied to this advert in the paper, has then gone, like, she didn't have this plan of, like, I'll just kill you for the insurance. She's kind of gone with him. Do you get what I mean? They've run away because mm-hmm. her dad didn't allow it. So I just feel like turning this around and being like, no, 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 she pushed me first. I just mm-hmm. haven't buying but... it at all. To play devil's advocate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She could be like, oh, shit, I'm regretting this. I should never have done it. It's like three months in. I'm in Edinburgh and I'm about, to, I've just married this guy. This was a great cliff this afternoon, but I want to come back at night time to push my husband off of it. And I failed. Now, I don't believe that, but, you know, devil's advocate. Fair devil's, ad- devil's advocate. Keep that in your head and we'll come back to this, right? Okay. Now, this goes to trial in the High Court of Edinburgh on January the 23rd, 1973. Now, he is represented by Frederick O'Brien. Or is it O'Brien? That word stresses me. I don't know if it's Breen or Brian. Please, someone teach me the way. Now, I don't know if you know who he is. Right. He is actually the former sheriff principal. And he actually died in 2012. But when he died, he was a QC, MA and LLB. So it was just to mention that when I was then Googling him, he had quite a lot about him so I thought that was fair to do. Now he was prosecuted for two counts of criminal activity. First was of course Helga's murder and the second account was actually an attempt to get a 10 grand loan from the Bank of Nova Scotia when he did not have the security for it. So if you remember that first trip to the bank when he first moved to Edinburgh to go to Nova Scotia he asked for the £10,000. The bank manager said "Mm, that's a bit dodge wait and he said I've got the security for it in Germany he did not have the security for it, so the police decided to charge him with that. Now, the motive, of course, was money. And he was called a fraud who had completed lots of scams, and Helga was just one big scam, basically. Now, the defence said this was obviously not guilty in loan fraud, like they just ignored that, but self-defence for Helga's murder. There was no effective life insurance policy at that time, so how would you do it for the money? So... They said that 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 policy was not in place yet because he had not completed the full amount of payment and not had to go ahead to go for the policy. So there was no policy to claim for Helga's death. Therefore, how could this be a life insurance policy fraud thing if there was no no policy to get? Now, on the 1st of February, he actually did what like, I'm like, when someone does it, but then I kind of love it when they're guilty. He took the stand, which... What's your thoughts on him taking the stand? What do you think? I don't know. It could clear him. Or okay. really, like always, it can make you be way more guilty. Okay, so he gets on the stand and says he was planning on committing insurance fraud. But not about the life insurance policy. No, no, no. He said he and Helga had planned to fake his death. So what was going to happen is he was going to go out near Cramond Island and say that he had died in a boating accident and then Helga was going to claim the life insurance 
they'd move back to somewhere in Europe and live off the life insurance. So that is what he says on the stand. He also then says that Helga did try and push him, that he kept his balance. And then the second push, he accidentally pushed her. She lost her footing, fell off the side of Salisbury Crags. Now, the post-mortem, which I've not really spoke much about, this indicated she was pushed strongly, meaning she went out from the face of the crags. So if you can picture like somebody going off the side of a kind of cliff, she's not just like scraped down the side. She's went out and over almost so she impacted on many peaks and rocks but as she fell she didn't just slide down she was out enough so that contradicts the fact that it was just a kind of slip this is a push also then contradicted the life insurance thing as obviously he meets with the life insurance company on the 15th and he believed the policy was already there which is why he asked to tear it up so he was under the illusion that the policy existed does that all make sense? Yeah, completely. Okay. Crazy that you can get that from an autopsy, though, that it's so, like, amazing well, I suppose, that, like, like it, she got pushed further out. Like, Well, you'd have completely different wow. injuries. Like, if you were to slide down the yeah. side of something, you should have, like, all these scratches and such, which she didn't. The way she must have fell shows that she went out with some force. But, yeah, mm-hmm. mental. Yeah. Anyway, the jury deliberated for two hours, and he was found not guilty of false attempt to secure a loan but he was found guilty of murder. Now, fun, uh, fun fact, I was going to say, but interesting fact, the jury consisted of 15 people and there was a vote of 11 to 4. So four people did not believe he was guilty, which I find really, really interesting because most of the time you hear of like an anonymous jury, so I find it really interesting when like four people think differently and that must be quite tricky. I've never been on a jury. I'd like to be. So he was sentenced to life. I on Monday. Oh, Sorry. I'm so, we'll do, well, can we do an episode on it? No, I can't, can we? No, that's against the law if I told you oh. what my duty duty was. No one tell, no one tell. <laughs> now, he was sentenced to life with no minimum. So that wasn't a thing yet. Remember, I mentioned that a couple of podcasts ago. And he went to Sockton. Now, he appealed to get out twice, and this was unsuccessful. Now, he got a lot of abuse in prison. So as you can imagine, this was like still the kind of 70s, and he was a German man. So there was a lot of xenophobia, a lot of Nazi jokes thrown at him in prison. Now, he maintained his innocence until two years in or so, and then he submitted an acknowledgement of his guilt and actually admitted he did not do this in self-defence. He simply just killed her. So he acknowledges this. He also kind of has a bit of reflection in there and he applies to study theology and he actually gets a qualification in the prison outreach programme. Now, in 1989, 16 years into his sentence, he is released at 37 years old. And he returns to Germany and settles in Klimmingsdorf, which is near Hamburg. Again, I am so sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. I went to Germany a couple of weeks ago and beautiful place. I really struggled pronouncing their things. And he actually worked as a church helper with disabled people attending the church. Now, he'd done this for 11 years and then actually asked and became a chaplain for the church and worked with 3000 odd patients on a psychiatric level. Now, he actually goes on to meet another woman and he tells her about the murder charge 17 or so years on. And actually, she was okay with it. He told her very early on. They've actually got married and to this day, they still live in Germany, happily married. He said he wanted to go and say sorry to the family, but when he did, her mum had already passed away and the dad was not in great health. So I don't think he wanted to kind of upset Helmut any more than he had. But I find this really interesting. It's one of our few cases that actually 
he is out and he's living a happily married, completely different life. In Germany, I had a look and I can't see anything saying he's died. So I think he's still there. Now, Helga's grave is in Germany, 300 yards from her family's farm estate. But if you actually go to the Salisbury Crags in Edinburgh, there is a bench under the peak which is dedicated to her. And the metal plate reads, in loving memory of our daughter Helga Conrad and the date of her death. So the 13th of October, 1972. So if you ever wanted to go and see that, if you're ever up in Salisbury, Crag, Salisbury Crags, I think it'd be nice if you could find the bench, which I actually have probably passed so many times and just haven't ever put two and two together. Um, but yeah, that is the story of the Salisbury Crags murder, but most importantly, the murder of Helga Conrad. Samantha, do you have anything you'd like to add? That was wild. Crazy that, like, you never think, oh, yeah, now he's out and he's married and he's doing this and he's doing that. And you're like, well, he shouldn't be because he just murdered some. But then it's like he spent 16 years in prison. And is he reformed? Like, did that work? Was it a good program that he was on, clearly? Cause he's, well, it shows, yeah. He's turned yeah. to religion and he's never went on, as we know of, to murder again. Yeah, crazy. So it shows reforms a thing. More impressive to his future wife as well. Like, I don't know what I would do if I was on a first date and someone was like, by the way, it's like 17 years ago I murdered my wife. So yeah, it shows I think that I'd be like, no. It shows that reform is a thing. And it yeah. shows that, I think we've said this before, but it shows that actually some prison sentences and support actually really do work at reforming people and can kind of help bad people be a little bit better. Yeah. 